go. Thank you. It is great to be with you today, and I just want to say I, I do love the local church, and one of the things that's really been exciting me lately is your Beyond Us campaign, uh, because my wife and I live out in the neighborhood, right where the new building's going to be built, and it's been fun watching that journey. Got the letter this week about uh, the exciting news about the loan and everything coming together, and your generosity uh, going over a half million dollars uh, being given so far, and that's just incredible. I think you need to give yourselves a hand and give God a hand for what he's doing there. And... Um, just to let you know, we live two blocks away, and we're looking forward to having you all in the hood. So it's going to be great. And uh, I think you're the, the church has been prophesying for decades. Your name has been Crestview, and there's not really any crest around you other than the dam. And you're now going to be on a crest, and you're going to have a view back across the valley. And so I just want to say thank you very much for that. It's cool, and we're looking forward to having you. So congratulations. But that's not why I'm here. I had to say that uh, because I drive by that land every single day. And so it's been, we're, we're looking forward to having the building out there. Uh, but I'm here to close up the series, Greater Than. When Devin called me a few weeks ago and asked would I be willing to do this, I, I of course, readily said yes. And um, been thinking about that, that theme, Greater Than. And then the topics that have been covered every week. And the truth of the matter is, there are a lot of things in our world that are greater than they should be. Our fears, our insecurities, our doubts, uh, our sin and our guilt for our sin and how that burdens us. Our desires, let's be real, are often greater than they should be. And, and ultimately, I think it stems from the fact that more often than not, our egos are greater than they should be. But then I think we make it worse than they should be because uh, we often begin to worry about these in our world and these situations and these things that we wrestle with uh, that become greater than they should be. We begin to worry about it and then our worry runs rampant and we even worry about things that aren't even a reality. In fact, uh, studies say that 85% of what we worry about never comes true. Never becomes a reality I heard this great quote as I was studying for this. Our worries are imagination run amok. Especially if 85% of it never comes true. And I don't think we understand that how much that burdens us and how much that weighs us down. The old English word for wor that we get the word worry from literally means to strangle. And so much of what we worry about and fret about uh, strangles us. Michael de Montaigne said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of, most of which never happened. Most of which is never a reality. And I think we heap a double portion on ourselves because life is difficult enough. Then we imagine what might happen and could happen and we worry about it. And what happens is then that feeds our insecurities. It feeds our fears. It feeds our doubts. It feeds our guilts. It feeds all of those things and it becomes worse. So what do we need to do to live a greater than life? To help answer that, I want to use a, a passage out of Ephesians, which is a doxology. In fact, many of the, the biblical authorities who've studied that through the years say this is the summation of the book of Ephesians, that is, Paul wrote this book in the letter and why he meant to write it. It is a doxology, a praise to God that gives us truth to focus on that could help us live a greater than life that's greater than all the challenges that we face in this world. So let me start by reading Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's dig in by breaking it down. 
First three words, now to him. That word him, it's just a pronoun. You know, when my wife uses it to say, hey, uh, yeah, that's my husband over there. You can give that to him. When she uses that, she's just talking about me. I'm just a guy from Alabama. He, he, he lives in Kansas now. He's my husband. Yeah, give it to him. Uh, that him, that pronoun doesn't mean much. But when Paul says now to him, that word becomes something magnificent because it's referring to a massive God who is incredible. You see, our God is great and scripture is full of it. To illustrate that a little bit, Psalm 139. Listen to a little bit as I read out of this chapter. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. We go to verse 11, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. Verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, verse 17. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. What an incredible truth to be able to share when he begins to describe what God is like. He talks about that God is everywhere. He is all-knowing, knowing us so well that even before a word comes to our tongue, he knows what we're going to say. He's all-powerful, and that power started when he knit each of us individually together in our mother's womb. Our God's incredible. In Job 38, God had a discourse with Job, and it's fascinating to see what God says about himself. And I think it's interesting to understand the depth of what he has done. It says in verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkness count, that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Verse 12, have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? That it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? And God goes on in this discourse with Job, and in it describes how phenomenal he is, how great he is, how powerful he is. You see, he's eternal. He's unchanging. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere. He never sleeps or slumbers. He is great. In fact, he is the only one that's truly awesome. 
When I considered that a few years ago, I challenged myself to never use the word awesome in any other situation or reference to God or something that had to do with God and that he deserves all the credit because only he is truly awesome. And in my opinion, in our world, we water down that word when we use it for anything and everything because he's the only one. I think a great illustration is to use a wiffle ball picture of it on the screen. You know what a wiffle ball is? If you've had kids, we didn't have one at home or I would have brought one. They're either the size of a baseball, the size of a softball, and it's just a plastic ball that has holes in it and there's really nothing inside of it. And I want you to imagine yourself, you're on a boat in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of that ocean where you can't see any shore, you can't see any land. And if you've ever been out in the middle of the ocean like that, you can understand how massive a body of water can be. Now picture throwing that wiffle ball overboard into the water. Where that water would slowly consume that ball and the, and the water would fill the ball and that ball would begin to sink. And as that little ball would sink into the vast ocean, that water would completely fill the ball in the same way God's presence fills the universe as the ocean fills the wiffle ball. The ocean is present elsewhere too, though the wiffle ball is not. It's only in that one spot. God is so large that he fills absolutely everything. He fills your life. He fills this earth. He fills the universe that we live in that we've been able to see with man-made machines, man-made telescopes. David Bowden said this in his book, When God Isn't There, God can never create a place larger than he could fill. Looking for a place where God is not is as futile as looking for the edge of the world. There is no part in all the created universe in which God is not found. Paul simply started this verse with the three words, now to him. That's who he's referring to. Now to him. It's an incredible meaning to Paul because when you look in the whole book of Ephesians, he begins to describe right at the beginning how great God is. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He knew that God was incredible. He knew that God had spiritual blessing. He knew that God was so wise that he had plotted out and planned what's going on in this world right from the start. Verses 7 and 8, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. The riches of God's grace. Verses 17 and 18 of chapter 1, he says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Chapter 3, verse 8, he says this, Although I am less than least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Some translations say the unfathomable riches of Christ. The truth of the matter is, this great God that we know, this great God who is eternal, unchanging, never sleeps or slumbers, all-powerful everywhere, who consumes the universe, is rich in mercy and grace and love. Truth of the matter is, he is great. And Paul starts it by saying, now to him. 
Understand the weight of that word, him. And it sets the stage for what the rest of the verse says. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. What, a what an incredible phrase. He's able to do immeasurably more. I don't know what more I can add when the truth is he's greater than the prayers I can pray. Think about the largest prayer you've ever prayed. He's greater than that. You prayed for safety, for healing, for help, for hope, for deliverance, for forgiveness, for provision. Maybe even prayed to win a game in overtime. I don't know. The greatest prayer you think you've ever prayed, you name it, say some big prayers, and he's bigger than that. Then he takes it to a whole nother level. He adds, he is greater than my mind can imagine. I can maybe comprehend the fact that he could be greater than what I pray, but he's greater than what my mind can imagine? Think about how big imaginations can be, how they can run wild with worry, how they can run wild with ideas. I don't really, I'm not one of those with a great imagination. You know, I just can't sit there and just imagine what it could be like and have all these wild stories that go with it. Best illustration I've ever heard of an imagination that was just unbelievable was when I was about 16 years old playing high school baseball. We had a practice on a Saturday morning, and a friend of ours showed up for practice an hour late. He comes flying up on his bike, jumps off the bike, throws it in the grass, grabs his glove, runs out in the middle of the field, and just takes his position. And the coach is like, oh, no, 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 no. Why are you so late? The whole practice stopped. He said, coach, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. We're like, okay, try us. You got to tell us. So we all gathered up. He said, well, last night, he, he said, it's a crazy story. He goes, I, I watched a horror movie. Those of you from my generation maybe have heard of the movie uh, Halloween. You know, I think there's been a one, two, or three, or four, or five. I don't know. There's been five too many. I don't know, whatever it is. But I watched Halloween, the horror movie, before I went to bed last night. And when I went in bed, I was laying there thinking about the movie. And as I was laying there, I laid there on my arm like this, and my hand was on my face. And he said, I fell asleep that way. And I slept that way all night. And I woke up in the morning and I'm laying in my bed and I felt a hand on my face and I flashed back to the movie I watched the night before because I didn't know whose hand it was. And he said, I'm laying in bed thinking there's somebody under my bed holding my face. And as soon as he knows I'm awake, he's awaiting till I'm awake. Then he's going to take my life. And he goes, I laid there for an hour. Wondering what this person was like, how strong he was, what I could do to overcome him, why he was in my house, how he got in there. My imagination was running crazy. He said, finally, after an hour, I got my nerve up and I realized if I just lay here, I'm going to die. So I had to take my life into my own hands. He said, I jumped out of bed real fast and my arms started flopping around because I couldn't feel it and didn't have any idea that it was there. And that's when I realized it was my hand on my face. It was my own hand and I had nothing to worry about. So I got my clothes on, got on my bike and rode to practice. And my coach said, you're right. I have no clue that I even believe that in the remotest thing. <laughs> And we're just all dying laughing. And here's the truth. Either that really happened and his imagination was running wild, or while he was writing to practice, he imagined a story to come up with to say why he was late. Either way, that's an incredible imagination. Our imaginations can run wild. Can't they? And worry oftentimes is imagination run amok. God is greater than our imaginations. 
He is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And if you don't believe that to be true, he provided manna in the wilderness for those that he was bringing out of Egypt. He brought forth water from a rock. He parted the sea. He kept three guys alive in a fiery furnace that even the people who threw those guys in the furnace died from the heat. He heals, he provides, he protects. He brings the dead back to life. And most importantly, he saves our souls from the very sin that keeps us from knowing him. The problem is we spend too much time doubting our beliefs and believing in our doubts. Let me say that again. We spend too much time doubting our beliefs and believing in our doubts to truly understand all that God is and all that he can do in our lives. And the truth of the matter is our great God can do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. He even calms the storms that we face in lives, whether they're figurative or whether they're literal. And the truth of the matter is, when Jesus is on the boat, it doesn't mean the storm won't rock your boat. It just means the storm won't sink you. Because that's how big our God is. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to the power that works within us. How does this become a reality? How does this let go in our life? It's because there's the power that works within us that God provided. In John chapter 14, before Jesus ever left, he told his disciples, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Acts chapter chapter 1 verse 8 It is not for you to know the times or date the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, that gave the power for the church to be the church that it was in the midst of a world that was persecuting it, in the midst of the world that didn't believe in it, in the midst of a world that was working against it, with the needs of people, meeting the needs of people, physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, and the church spread, and we are proof of that today. Why? Because the power that God promised was at work in their lives, and it's the same power that works in ours. And if you want to know how great that power is, Paul reminds us in Acts chapter, I mean in Ephesians chapter 1, before he prays about this power in 3, he says in chapter 1, in his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Here's the truth of the matter. The same power that's available to us today is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. If we're going to live greater than lives in a world that many of the pressures are greater than what we can handle, we have to understand that our great God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to the power that works within us. But the problem is we live powerless lives. My wife and I moved to Great Bend back in 1989. I was going to be the pastor there, and we served there until 1999 before I came to work at the college. And we love having people in our home, and we invited people over. It was the chairman of the board and his wife. We wanted to make a great impression on the guy who was a part of helping hire us. And they came to the house, but Lisa said, you know, Kevin, about an hour before they came, we've got a problem. I said, why? She goes, "Uh, the oven's not working. It's glowing, but it's not cooking the lasagna that I made. I don't know what to do. 
I said, well, just keep cooking it. And she goes, and the house is really hot. It was 103 that day in April. Western Kansas, y'all know how Kansas can be. If you don't like the weather, hang around a little while. It's going to change. I still believe this rain's going to change. I don't know when, but it'll change. We'll be griping in July about how hot and dry it is. But the house was as hot. The air conditioner was on. It was blowing, but it wasn't blowing cold air. And she said, I just checked the dryer. The dryer's just spinning, but it's not hot at all. So when Phil got there, oh, we're so sorry. Supper's not done. The, air, the, hot, the house is hot. We don't know what to do. We're just going to do this. And he goes, well, let's go look at the house. It was an older house. We went out back, flipped open a power box, and it was the 220. was back when 220 had two fuses. They were just little things that you could slide in and out. And, and we realized that one of the fuses was totally dead. So only half the power was coming in to run these 220 volt machines in our house. So the air conditioner blew, but nothing happened. The oven glowed, but it didn't cook. The dryer spun, but it didn't dry because there wasn't enough power. How often is that what our lives are like? We spin, we glow, and more often than not, we blow. But it's not really doing any good because not relying on God's power. The things in our life overwhelm us and they become greater than we are because we're not relying on the one who is greater than everything we can face in this world, who gives us the power to be able to handle them. And this is important because the things in this life can be greater than we can handle on our own. And we need someone greater than all of them to help us work through them. God is so great. He is even greater than all we can ask or imagine. He is greater can is really probably a great summation of this series. He is greater than our biggest enemy, which is death. He is greater than our biggest temptation, which is building our own kingdom and who people think we are. He is greater than one of our biggest hurdles, our sin and our past. He is greater than one of our biggest challenges, our insecurities that drive what we do. And he is greater than our biggest competitor to him. And that is ourselves. Not the world and anything in it. It's us. You see, we get self-righteous and self-confident and self-sufficient. And then when things aren't going well, we get full of self-pity. We ultimately can just be selfish. But the challenge is, is to trust in a God who's good even when life is not. And to give up ourselves and let him guide and guard and protect. A.W. Tozer really summed up Paul's truth this way. Our God is so vastly wonderful so utterly and completely delightful that he can, without anything other than himself, meet and overflow the deepest demands of our total nature, mysterious and deep as that nature is. That was A.W. Tozer's way of saying, now to him, he's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory through all eternity forever and ever. See, he's greater than, and we have to understand that truth. He's greater than all we can ask, all we can imagine, all we could face, all that we worry about, all that we're afraid of. He's greater than. Let me close with a story I read a couple of years ago, and I remembered it this week when I was working on this sermon. It's about a lady named Mabel. It was a college student working on his master's who went to the uh, went off into the state-run convalescent hospital just to see people. And it was overcrowded. It was dark. It was smelly. You can imagine what it was like. And he said, one day I met Mabel. She was strapped in a wheelchair. He said, 
Mabel was in absolute horror. Her empty stare and white pupils proved that she was blind. The hearing aids, the massive hearing aids she wore on her ears proved that she was mostly deaf. One side of her face was being eaten by cancer and it pushed her nose to one side with a sore. It pushed her uh, eye to droop and her mouth to sag so badly that the corner of her mouth became the bottom of her mouth. He said she was so grotesque to look at that they would bring new employees by to spend time with Mabel to make sure that they were able to handle everything that they saw in this convalescent hospital. He said that was Mabel. She laid in that bed. She was 89 years old and she'd been there bedridden, blind, nearly deaf and alone for 25 years. On Mother's Day, he said, I gave her a rose. I didn't know if she was a mother or not, but I gave her a rose. She told me it was lovely but that she was blind and couldn't see it. So she asked if she could give it to one of the other patients. And he said, sure. So he rolled her in the wheelchair that she was strapped in and rolled her up to another person. And she reached out and held it out and said, here, this is from Jesus. He said, I knew at that moment, this was a lady I needed to get to know better. Regardless of what she looked like and regardless of what I thought when I was with her. He said, so I started going to see her regularly. And he said, some days I'd read to her from the Bible. When I would stop, she would continue to recite the passage from memory. He said, on other days, I would sing hymns to her, and she would know all the words from memory as we sang them. He noted he never heard her speak of loneliness, never heard her speak of pain, except in the stress she placed on certain lines and certain hymns as they sang them. He said, she really began to fill me with wonder, and I started to write down and journal what she told me. And he said, one day I asked her, Mabel, what do you think about when you lie here? Her answer, I think about my Jesus. He said, I sat there and thought for a minute and asked, Mabel, what do you think about Jesus? Her answer, I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those kind who's mostly satisfied. Lots of folks wouldn't care much for what I think. Lots of folks would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but... I really don't care. She said, I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then she began to sing. Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. And the author continued, how could she do it? The answer I think is that Mabel had something that you and I don't have much of. She had power. Lying in that bed, unable to move, unable to see, unable to hear, unable to talk to anyone. She had incredible power. I know what the difference was. She lived with a firm belief in the one who is greater than everything and therefore greater than every challenge she faced, every illness she faced, every weakness she faced, and everything that she ever felt like she had and is now gone. He was greater than. So she could face all those challenges with a faith that knew God was with her. Challenge is the same for us today. We not be, may not be in a state-run hospital. We're not blind. We may not be deaf. We may not have any of these challenges but there's still things that hammer on us like insecurities and worries and fears and doubts and hard times and difficulties 
But the truth of the matter is we can face those with a faith that knows the one who is greater than anything we could face will be with us. He will walk with us. He will help us with his power and his might and his mercy and his love. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can imagine, all that we could pray according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory forever and ever. And may we all live by that faith knowing that we can overcome what's greater than us in this life because the one who is greater than that is with us every day.